part two of the question of how are we going to read Genesis 1. Now of all the scientific questions that are swirling around out there, I am not a biologist. I'm not a geologist and I don't really feel qualified to answer those questions. But I am a theologian and I am a biblical studies person and I do feel qualified to ask the question, what is the biblical author trying to communicate? And the way I'm gonna answer that question is I'm gonna dive into the text that he has left me and I'm gonna look for patterns. I'm gonna look for messages. I'm gonna look for priorities. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter one. What do we see in the pattern that the biblical author has left for us? Well, we clearly have a seven-day structure which is crowned with the Sabbath. How do those seven days relate to each other? Well, as we look at day one, we see that God creates day and night. In day two, we see he creates the waters above, which from the worldview of someone from the ancient Near East means the heavens in which uh, the air is and the birds fly, and the waters below which from that worldview would be the oceans and the related waterways. And then in day three, we see that land is separated from the water, creating a third habitat, which is the habitat of dry land. And this is the pattern here, Genesis day one, day two, and day three, create three habitats or even three kingdoms. There is day and night, there is the air above and the oceans below, and there is dry land. Now circle back and take a look at days four, five, and six. And to our great surprise, we see that God has now created inhabitants for these three habitats. And so in day four, the sun is commissioned to rule the day and the moon is commissioned to rule the night. And the language of rule, rulership and dominion is used. Day five, which relates back to day two, the birds are created to fill the heavens and the fish to fill the seas. And then day six, well, 6a, we see that land animals are created to abide upon and fill the dry land. Do you see the relationship between days one, two, and three, and four, five, and six? Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that the climax, the apex of Genesis chapter one is the creation of humanity. Humanity's creation gets more text, more time, more verbiage, and more celebration than anything else that's happened up until this point in our presentation. And here we see a species that is created in the image of God, his representation on the planet. And this one is set apart Male and female is created in the image of God. These are told to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to rule over it, to rule over everything that's come before. But this is not the end of the story. We have day six, but we also have day seven. And when we get to day seven, we read, thus the heavens and the earth were completed and God rested which in the verbiage of the ancient Near East is a king who's been enthroned over a peaceful empire. He rested, he is enthroned, and God blessed and sanctified the seventh day. What do we see in this pattern? We see an explanation of relationships. We see in Genesis 1, not a discussion of the fossil record necessarily or of dinosaurs, but a discussion of who God is, what his relationship to humanity is, and what humanity's relationship to the planet is. And it's a sequence of authority. God stands over all his perfect creation, 
Under himself he's created a steward, as Psalm 8 says, just a little below the angels, but then above all the created order. What is Adam's task? To rule, creatively rule and direct this planet for the glory of God and the cause of the kingdom. This is God's perfect plan. What are the essential theological messages that come out of this? Well, they're clear. God has created. He is not embedded in his creation. He doesn't have to do battle with his creation. He speaks and it is. This is distinctive from all of the theology surrounding Israel. What is two? He stands outside his creation. We are not pantheists. We are not panentheists. He is God and creation is not. We see also humanity created in God's image to be a reflection of God on this planet, but he himself and she herself creatures, physiologically made of the same stuff that the animals are made of, but set apart by means of the animation that's going to occur in Genesis chapter 2. God breathes life and the non-material aspect of humanity sets humanity apart from all of the other animal creatures. So we see humanity standing apart, made in the image of the Most High. We see humanity made male and female, both reflective of the image of God. Um, man and woman, shoulder to shoulder, set as stewards of this creation. And we see, therefore, that God's ideal design for his creation is that he would stand as sovereign and Lord and uh, mentor to these human stewards that he has entrusted with all the good gifts of the garden. This is Genesis 1. This is clearly the intention of the biblical author. Exactly where dinosaurs fit in, I'm going to leave that to the biologists. <laughs>